When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not great. Like, not right. It's that ongoing conversation. The bar, the bar, the bar. Uh, the bar is great. low. I'm doing great for where the bar is uh, currently set. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good to see you again. I can see your face this time. Our last episode, we couldn't get our cameras to, I don't know, whatever was going on. So we didn't get to see each other. So now I get to gaze upon your beautiful face. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> Joe, do you want to introduce our very exciting guest today? I'm so, this is going to be so fun. We're going to have a great conversation. So um, uh, why, why don't you take away the introduction? Of course. Um, this, I, I'm very excited. I just like, I, I'm very excited. Um, I really wish that Joshua gave me a heads up because now all of my, <laughs> all of the credits are going out of my head. All you need to know is that uh, she is badass uh, she is uh, on the forefront of queerness and horror uh, as far as like, you know, in terms of academia. Um, and I'll let her give a little bit more of her bona fides in, in a little bit. Um, this is the amazing uh, Heather Petrocelli. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yay. 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 <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Yes. Yes. Queers and horror. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great place to be. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get into chatting all about Heather's life in horror uh, here in just a bit. But first, um, what's been going on? Joe, we went to see the New Mutants together in the drive-in. Uh, speaking the drive-in. of drive-in. Queer horror, kind of. <laughs> yes. Did, what did you think in the end? We didn't really talk much after. We all kind of were like, all right, we're all old and it's 1030, so we got to go to bed. <laughs> all kind of like left. What did you think in the end? Um, I thought it was fine. Like, it, <laughs> I thought that it was, it was a nice gathering of actors and performers, at least three of them that like, you know, were definitely having a moment when they got casted. And... Um, are like now like the moment's kind of over <laughs> so it was just like they're like okay that's you know i mean no offense to uh Maisie and charlie heaton and all them but you know moment's kind of over um it definitely felt uh it felt disnified there's there's more that could have been done uh, but i think the overall my overall takeaway from new mutants was that it was dark 
Um, and not content wise, like it was too, like it was literally washed out. We could barely, the thing about seeing horror, exactly. The thing about seeing horror at a drive-in is that unless there's like zero to no ambient light or, and you have like people around you who like know how to operate their cars. So that way they don't turn their, leave their lights on. Um, like it's, it's going to be, it's not going to be a good time. And then you're just like straining and it makes you feel like maybe maybe the drive-in is too, you're too old for the drive-in. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Joshua. You, I mean, you you had like there were two moments where like the jeep in front of you, like their lights were just full on in your in your face. So. No, I got I we got lucky because the car that was in front of us, well, that jeep was in front of them, so they blocked the light. <laughs> okay, okay. But I felt bad for them. It was really funny to watch because you could tell them arguing about mm-hmm. like you know because that's what happens with Joe, J- uh, Jeffrey and I, where like you know something will be happening. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna fucking say something. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna go over there. It's like, no, dear, oh my god, you're gonna get killed. Like, no, don't do that. You know, so you can kind of <laughs> see that conversation happening with them. You know, in the car because they just kept trying. Like, like one of them was going to get out of the car and strangle that poor blonde girl who could not figure out her car. And what I, I think was happening is what happened with us at the at the first movie, which is why we bought an FM radio and got headphones and all, is that the Jeep kept turning off because we have a Jeep as well. And so every 15 minutes, the radio would, it would just, the whole car would shut down. You know, it's just mm. part of some kind of feature. So she kept climbing from the back of her Jeep where she was laying into the front seat to restart the radio, turning on her lights, the whole thing. And she, it just seemed like she was completely oblivious too. Like she wasn't apologizing. She was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, she was just doing her, living her life, <laughs> blinding everybody behind her. So yeah, I, I'm such a, I was really trying not to be a curmudgeon even though I really am. Because <laughs> I was just like, this is such like stupid people, you know? But like I, the drive-ins I used to go to were in Ohio in the middle of cornfields and pitch black. So I didn't even think like, you know, that there would be some problem with ambient light. Because of course they wouldn't build a drive-in next to a Denny's and a bunch of other like... <laughs> and like just off the freeway. Yeah, yeah, it was... So it's not great, but it was good to get out of the house. Have you seen uh, New Mutants yet, Heather, or heard anything about it? No. Are you an I, X-Men fan? There's tons of queer stuff in X-Men, you know? Um, I'm, I have seen some of the X-Men movie, but, like, I would fail a test. And okay. <laughs> the only thing I know about uh, the New Mutant one is that Alice Braga is in it. Sonia Braga's niece, I think. And she's queer. So that's it. That's what I have for you. So how was Alice in the film? She's queer? Oh, my God. I love her. <laughs> I love her. No, sorry. I just love her because... Um, so my parents, uh, and now by extension, me, thank you, uh, quarantine. Um, my parents love the queen of the South on USA, oh. which is, she's the lead in. And now, uh, and then, and then I watched it and I'm like, oh my God, now I like queen of the South. Um, which is, which is interesting. Cause the two, the, um, I think it's M.A. Forston and um, Joshua Miller, I think are their names. They like, they're like queer and they created Queen of the South, or at least the American version of Queen of the South. And I was like, oh my God, I, I, I was trying to find more things that uh, she's in. And now, you know, now watching New Mutants, it was nice to see her there uh, collecting a check. Um, and she was really good. I mean, I, I wanted, I definitely wanted more from her. Um, but it was it, for me humans the narrative was a little difficult to follow um i figured out like okay i figured out the kind of the premise of everything and 
it was just like, okay, when are we going to get, where are the powers? Where are the powers? <laughs> and then it was just very on the nose. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, but not really spoiler alert. Um, it was a little on the nose to have like, you know, one of the queer characters have this like very conflicted, like, you know, relationship with their religion, AKA Roman Catholicism. Yeah. And it's like, you know, just like, uh, that whole thing and i'm just like okay we get it like you know mute your mutation as a stand-in for your queerness type of thing because she was fine like being all lesbian and you know hidden on the girl but you know god forbid she you know transforms into a wolf (laughs) (laughs) you know True, true. And I think it, it, I texted, it, I, I texted Joshua and I, we can't, since we can't talk over the movies anymore because <laughs> we're now separated via cars, I'll just like have to remember to text him something really fast. And so when they kiss, I like texted him. I was like, Libetian, le- lesbian, the lesbians. Oh my gosh. Did you see that coming? And I thought they were going to do like, I thought they were going to do the two guys, uh, Charlie Heaton and, and the other character, Berto. I thought they were going to make them gay because they were having too many like, you know, endearing bro moments. And <laughs> so you cannot have straight men are not allowed to be, you know, um, to feel safe in their emotions with each other without being queer, Joe. Uh, <laughs> Just like undermining every, you know, every. Like. <laughs> First of all, I already read. I already read Charlie Heaton as very queer, and I know he's not. Or I mean, as, I assume that he's not because he's dating um, whatever her name is from uh, Stranger Things. But I just like like it, just his look and his aesthetic. I just read as very queer. It's like very Kate Bush, you know, or no, sorry, Kate Moss. It's like Kate Ron, Bush, huh? Not Kate Bush, Kate Moss, Ron Kate. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know, but it was, it was okay. It was fun. Uh, good trailers. It, I probably will go, um, I'll probably go again to the drive-in another time. Uh, I really want to see Tenet, but you know, I'm, I'm basic like that. I like Christopher Nolan. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I want to see it. It looks interesting. You know, Inception was cool, you yeah. know, to look at, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I went to the drive-in for the first time this last week also. Cool. What'd you see? Death Becomes Her. Yeah. In the drive-in? Yeah. So it was part of here. A friend of mine, uh, Anthony Hudson, is also a drag clown. Carla Rossi does a thing called Queer Horror, which is a dedicated LGBTQ plus screening of you know horror films for queer audiences. And it was the drive-in edition of Queer Horror. So I was like, oh, go out of my house for the first time since March for that. I'm so jealous that it was uh, Death Becomes Her. We just did that as an episode a few, uh, well, for Pride. That was like our one of our Pride episode. Uh, that is so cool. How fun. Was it paired with anything else or was it just the one movie? Just the one movie. Very cool. Do they have like a talk back or something or? Um... No, not really. We were all pretty sequestered in our little spaces, but it was a, some horns went off here and there, but it was a pretty chill crowd compared to the normal experience of being at queer horror in a theater. 
Yeah, yeah, it's usually a little bit more uh, animated. <laughs> Boisterous, raucous, yes, definitely. Because that's the thing, like, with, especially Death Becomes Her, it's like, it's hard not to quote along, or you know what I mean? They're like to talk along with the movie. So it's like, you do kind of want that experience. Uh, oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in individual cars, at every, yeah. like, at those key moments, like, everyone's like, blasted, you know, right. like, everyone's... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we just didn't hear each other from our distance, but I'm pretty sure that that yeah. was happening because we were quoting in our car. Oh, that is too fun. How, how cool. Yeah. Huh. Uh, anything you were saying before we started recording that you do, you, you read a lot. What are you reading right now? I'm reading a lot to finish my dissertation. So it's lots of, you know, horror studies, books, queer theory books, um, I'd say pretty much those two right now. It's either horror or queer or some combination of queer and horror. (laughs) So. uh, What is, um, what's a queer horror text do you think everybody should have? Like where, is there a book that, or, you know, or even a couple, whatever, you know, like just something that it's like, hey, if you're into this, you should check this out, read it. Well, I think everyone should read Harry Benshoff's Monsters in the Closet, just because it's very foundational, but it also is, um, I mean, that was what almost 97 or something, or yeah. is it older like, than so that? Yeah. It's, it's, so it's old, it's dated. And at the time, Benshoff didn't really engage with the slasher genre, although probably should have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that, that needs an update. So that book needs to, you know, the update to that needs to exist. But I do think people should know what was in that book. Um, I think people should read Halberstam's uh, Skin Shows. Skin shows. Mm-hmm. That one I've not heard of. It's more on the queer. I mean, on the yeah, on the queer theory side. It's more of a queer theorist writing about horror than a horror studies person. Oh, cool. So awesome. Nice. Very cool. Thank you uh, for that. I always just like hear you know like what books people are reading. What you know, it's like I've got this <laughs> library filling up with. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of stuff. I think my first time around in grad school, I learned from one of my advisors that like most books should be articles, and so I actually am a huge fan of really well written articles that get their argument out in fifteen to thirty pages. You know, done. So there's also an article I just read not that long ago by a man named. Uh, Sam Miller, and it's in a book about post 9-11 horror, and I'm completely blanking on the name of the article, but something about the queer monster and assimilation. Those words are somewhere in it. So I recommend yeah. people read that article, and that's from 2011, I believe. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. That a lot of times um, our episodes come from articles, come from essays that people have written. You know, that's always like the dream with doing this show is one day we're gonna like curate you know some sort of collection of, of, of essays and thoughts because yeah I, I think that's it's easier you know of course there are incredible books that everybody should absolutely read but sometimes just getting that down into you know 10 15 pages or 30 you know what I mean of like here here is a subject an intense look at just this thing you know is, is easier to absorb and I find that you know especially doing this show little bits and pieces so we can kind of focus uh definitely come from yeah, articles. How fun. Joe, have you read anything this week? <laughs> Famously, oh. I don't read. Right. Um, I mean... <laughs> that's not true. I, I know. See, that's not true. It's not true. Because, like, people people are really out here thinking that, like, I'm just this, like, you know, 
this this cretin that doesn't read. He's getting picture you know? books sent to him for the. I'm holiday. getting like you know. I'm just like you know. <laughs> oh, it, I, I mean, I enjoy a good magazine article. You know, I read, I read the New York. that? <laughs> I read the I read the New York Times and not just uh, not just arts and leisure. Um, I mean, there's nothing in the arts and leisure section right now. Nothing's happening over there. Um, but um, no, I'm still, I'm trying to work my way through a bunch of uh, memoirs because I really like es- books of essays and memoirs. And so I'm finishing up um, The Groom Will Keep His Name by Matt Ortile, uh, which is really interesting. It's a, uh, it's a book about, uh, the writer Matt Ortile talks about his queer identity, but also um, his, the, you know, his immigrant story as a, you know, queer child from the Philippines and, you know, Guam and the Philippines are just like very close to each other. So I relate to a lot of things that he said. Um, and he's also just like an insufferable alum of Vassar and like you, <laughs> and there's just all the stuff about like Vassar in it. And I'm just like, wow, I wish I could have gone to Vassar to just be this insufferable about it. Um <laughs> in every conversation every conversation it's about as Vassar. a as a as a graduate of vassar you i know, know i, I, I do like, enjoy a whiskey and coke dear bartender i was like vassar i'm like oh okay i mean it's eye rolly but he's he also is in on the joke as well um so i'm finishing that and then i'm i, I was going to start uh samantha irby um, so that way I can get through her, um, her, uh, books as well, since she just had a new one that was released. But I think right after this one, I'm going to read Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino, uh, cause I hear nothing but really interesting things about it. And, you know, it, maybe it will force me to uh, get rid of all my social media, except for what's here for the show. Um, I did watch, uh, I did watch, uh, the new Mulan, <laughs> <laughs> oh right, duh! We do have to discuss that. Um, I did watch the new Mulan. So first, let me let me just say that I I did tell a friend of mine that I was going to watch um, Mulan, and she is um, she actually runs um, the Apimeda programs at a lo- at the local uni- at a local university, and Apimeda stands for Asian Pacific Islander Middle Eastern Desi American. Um, and so I told her, and I didn't just tell this because I was like, I know you care about Asian shit. Let me just tell you what I'm doing to support. But I did, you know, it, we just happened to be talking that day. So I, I told her that I was going to watch it. And like me and Jimmy Kins were going to order like Chinese food from a local Chinese place and, you know, get our, get our, uh, get, have our, like a little viewing party at home. And then she, then she directed me to like some, there's like some controversy about it because it, in the kind of renaming of certain characters to be like very nice and kind of almost catering to China. Um, and also how I think the main, the main character, the main girl who plays Mulan said some like very uh, controversial things about Hong Kong and all of that. And so, um, and so, like, that would have been enough, but, like, I had already bought it. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, I already paid for it, so I think I'll just watch it, and I will, um, I will figure out how to make amends uh, in the way that we all do, in the way that we all do when we figure out how to make amends later. And I have to say that I really enjoyed it. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's just because of doing this show and just our 
podcast friends that we know, but like, I'm always constantly thinking about what I would pair this movie with. Like if you wanted to have like a, in a, like a, a whole type of experience. And I actually, I, in watching Mulan, I got a lot of, um, hero, Ang Lee's hero. And it was like, it felt like, I mean, similar, similar visuals, uh, and, you know, rich colors, that sort of thing. And I really did like, I really did enjoy how they, um, how they were still true to the original, uh, film, uh, to the original animated feature, but then how they changed things up a little bit. And, um, I didn't, I, I did appreciate like a little bit of the like quote unquote feminist moments of, of the film, even though, I mean, like, even though it could have been better and it's like, now she takes her hair down and, and, and it's a long black hair fighting in the, you know, wushu style. I'm like, okay, well, no, that's, that's just like, that's fine. But, you know, there were other things there too. And, um, but yeah, I enjoyed it overall. I texted my sister who it was her birthday, the day it came out and I texted her and asked her what she thought. And she's like, it was okay. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, let's, these are, that is also fair. That is also fair. <laughs> so we'll add that we're, whenever we do, we're going to do Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. um, Memoirs of a Geisha, and Mulan is a special <laughs> Asian yes. horror. It'll be this <laughs> Asian horror, but not horror. Yeah, Heather, we, I, we have a running joke that like our April Fool's Day, one day we're going to do for April Fool's, we're going to do Memoirs of a Geisha. Um, <laughs> Because it's it's very horrific in many ways. Yes, in, in many, many ways. It's a layered, layered horror. <laughs> yes. uh, well, you know, again, I mean, maybe I really do like Gong Lee, so I do want to see it just because I want to see her playing like the, the, she's a witch, right? Like, a, is she one of the bad guys? Or is she I mean, like an anti-villain kind of thing? I mean, you know, here's the thing. And, and, I, and I did think about you the entire time. She was, every time she was on screen, I was she like. only in it for like three seconds. She's not, no, she's in it. She, okay. she has good stuff in it. But like every time she's on screen, I was like, man, Joshua would love this. And it was very much like, you know, it's very much, I'm, I'm been outcast and exiled. And now I'm the bad guy because y'all were awful. It's very, you know, Patricia Arquette's character in Holes. You know, like, well, that's she, very Disney. You know, that's Ursula. Yeah. That's Maleficent. That's very, very Disney. Yeah, you know that kind of outsiders. Instead of you know, I can build my own world over here. No, I'm going to commit mm-hmm. my life to destroying yours for um, being mean to me. Yeah, and and it was like it, it was also interesting because like they they like call her a witch, right? <laughs> they call her a witch, but it's like she's not really a witch. Okay. She she just has she just happens to have powers. Uh, she just happens to have powers, okay. and they just call her a witch. And and I'm like, okay, well, this is a way. Like, I'm like, I'm like sitting here, and you know, tr- like I'm going off a little bit. I'm out like, you know, we're like the monstrous feminine and blah blah blah. And Jimmy Kins is looking at me like, can we just watch like <laughs> just watch the movie? <laughs> can we just watch oh. the movie? He's he's sitting there like cursing me. <laughs> this is this is Joshua's fault. God damn it. Can't even watch a damn movie. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I mean it was, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. I I've been I enjoy a good martial arts flick. And plus, I mean, Jet Li is in it for like five seconds. So Well, there we go. 
<laughs> well, again, if it if it becomes available, like you know, not for that extra thirty dollars, whenever that happens, I I'm sure I'll check it out just for the visual, like you know, just to see it, you know. But yeah. I, like I said, I don't even think I've seen the original Mulan. Like you know, that tracks for me. There's so so much of Disney that's just a. They sang the mirror song, Joshua. Like it was. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> did Christina Aguilera come back and do like some kind of new version? She did. So at the the With end Ariana credits. No, no Aria Grande, but the the end credits, they Christina Aguilera sings like the new like song that's for that will probably get nominated for an Oscar, Um, and then she recuts uh, Reflection just to remind you that she can, and and then the and then there's a third uh, the last song in the end credits is Reflection but in Mandarin. As sung by, I believe it's as sung by the girl who plays Mulan. So, um, you had just said that you hadn't seen a number of Disney films, and I had told you I hadn't been watching anything before we were recording because I'd just been reading. But I also have not seen a lot of Disney films just because uh, I saw the shit that when I was sorry, I don't know. If you guys oh, know. oh, <laughs> no, we, <laughs> yeah, oh, fuck it, we don't give a shit, like it's fine. Like, <laughs> So I saw the you know films from my youth, and then I missed all of that. Um, I don't you know I don't know what it's considered to your age group, but the uh, Little Mermaid, the Aladdin, the Beauty and the Beast, and the Lion King. Mm-hmm. So so I just saw those. Kind of half ass saw them because I was doing work while they were on, but I just saw all four of those uh, this past week. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, basically, only Disney movies I really like are are are, are is that it's uh, the Little Mermaid, the Lion King. I just love the music, and I love anything with mermaids. I love sea monsters, sea creatures, Ursula. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, I'm just here for Ursula, basically. Yeah, that's my yeah. review of all four movies. Ursula. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. Yeah, that's kind of about it, you know. And I mean, Disney had some other things. Like, I think, um, didn't they own Touchstone Pictures? So, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I love that. I think that's technically a Disney film. I think The Nightmare Before Christmas is now a Disney film. You know, it's been absorbed or whatever. So, there are definitely films that Disney owns or is distributed that I that I like. But I never, never sought it out. It was, I mean, our house really, I, you know... Had a teenager for a parent. It was all horror, you know, a lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of that. So, you know, so the Disney films or the, or the kids movies I like are scare or like the witches and Hocus Pocus, <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, things like that, that are still spooky. <laughs> yeah. When we went to, um, we went to a panel that had like the crew members and Thora Birch for Hocus Pocus um, yeah. a couple years ago. And like, I was, and I knew all the words to the Hocus Pocus. I put a spell on you. And Josh was looking at me like, I'm the freak. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just there like, Inkama Koriyama. <laughs> they had those women up there just working. They didn't need our help. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, if, if there's if if there's no other um, you know things to to dive into <laughs> Disney wise on our on our horror podcast, if there's anything else to keep us from the horror, uh, then let, well, let's just chat a little bit, Heather. So you are like lifelong horror fan as well, kind of always been. I, I had seen an interview with you that you were like, ah, eh, not really sure. It was just always there. Is that? Yeah. No, that is definitely true. I. 
can't, there's no moment I can pinpoint. I've just always been attracted to things that are a little bit darker and more macabre and that's what's what's the earliest horror film you remember seeing not and not on purpose maybe just you know like oh we're watching a scary movie i think the earliest film that like really made me realize that that you know when you this is like when you're still like really little i saw the wizard of oz when i was a toddler or somewhere between you know three and five and the wicked witch and her flying monkeys were like the most exciting thing and terrifying thing I think I'd ever seen at that moment in time. And I, to this day, still love The Wizard of Oz and The Wicked Witch and her flying monkeys. That is a first. I don't think anybody has ever mentioned The Wizard of Oz. Like Return to Oz, obviously, and that's, it's far, you know, meant to be, I think, aesthetically, it's, you know, very creepy. I don't think they meant to be creepy with The Wizard of Oz. Um, But yeah, that's the first time that, uh, that I think anybody's ever mentioned that. That's very, very cool. I love, there's like a meme that goes around. It's like, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. My monkeys fly. That's like my, <laughs> one of my favorite sayings. You know, I use that at work sometimes. Like, mm, my monkeys fly. <laughs> so, I don't know what this is. Um, but no, that's very cool. I don't, I, nobody's ever mentioned The Wizard of Oz that I can remember. I mean, in a hundred and some episodes and, you know, a little bit of cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's something, I think there's just something to, there are generational differences in the sense of like, I am not like a depression era baby by any means, but, <laughs> but there is something. You look great. I know. It's the, you know, I went and visited uh, Death Becomes Her. What's her name? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Liesl. <laughs> um, I think that maybe The Wizard of Oz doesn't hold as much. It was on TV all the time when I was yeah. a kid, all the time. And I am a Gen X baby raised on the television so I think there's something to that I didn't have as many choices as kids did after and I think also for at least for my generation but it might be true for the generation after me because of the four films I just watched from Disney that Disney villains also are a total gateway drug to horror (laughs) and I am not that like I am not the first person for that I mean I know I've heard that over and over again yeah no yeah that's absolutely come up especially from queer people Yes. You know, in the, in the, like that sort of uh, subtext, you know, the queer subtext of like Ursula, Jafar, um, you know, I mean, we Scar. Maleficent, Scar, definitely Scar, you know, that there's you know, the gay uncle, the gunkle, uh, you know, mm-hmm. there is definitely, uh, yeah, a gateway there. Um, although, you know, it's interesting because it's like, you know, given like heteronormative culture, that's not, that's not there to make gay people feel safe. You know, it's there as like queer kids to be like, oh God, we're the villains. But I just think it's like an amazing test of our resilience that like we can take those characters and be like, oh, they're amazing. And I'm amazing and fabulous and gorgeous. And the bad guy, no, not, cannot be. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's definitely, I mean, it's a survival tool, right? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I completely agree that. Yeah. um, And plus, I mean, it's a, it's a survival tool that I, I call it the queer gaze. So mm-hmm. just to be able to take anything and reformulate it to fit you, right? That just is for survival. But those characters are the most delicious characters in all Absolutely. of the films. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've, it's so funny. Cause it's like, you know, when, when P, when you're a kid and you're like, you know, on the playground, you're acting things out from different movies or things like that. It's like, I never really wanted to be like, I was never the person who was like, I want to be the red power ranger. You know, like, I don't want to be the leader. I don't want to be that guy. I was like, I want to be like, 
the yellow power. <laughs> I want to be the yellow power ranger or uh, I want to be the blue. one. I don't necessarily want it. I didn't necessarily want to be like the, the forefront. So like when you, when I was thinking about like Aladdin and, you know, Lion King and all of that, it's like I never necessarily wanted to be the villains or I wanted to be the star, but like, I wanted to be like scuttle, like, <laughs> Or or one of the high, or like Timon and Pumbaa, like I wanted to be one of those people. Um, this has nothing to do with anything. I'm just. Talking. I mean, I always wanted to be Count Dracula. So, nah. hey, <laughs> there we go. No, that's awesome. You know, there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot there that we could unpack. We could talk about that. Um, just let's put it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dive into that in just a second. I because I want to ask a clarifying question to Joe. Like, do you think we're were you self-aware enough to get why? Like, why do you think that is? I'm just curious. Uh, why I wanted to, why I didn't want to be why the villain. Why subtle? Or, why, like, those, Why like, not those the Red Power Ranger? Characters. Um, kind of goes back to our conversation with uh, Michael Verratti about, you know, always seeing ourselves in the villain when it's like, well, no, but we're also Laurie Strode and we're Sidney Prescott and we're, you know, queers are also those, those, the heroes of the story too, if we want to be. You know, but that sometimes we accept this villainous mm-hmm. read because of heteronormativity or patriarchy or the ways that we're told to feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious if there's, a, would you like to reflect on that? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Am I being, I love your, you know, your, this very clinical exploration right now. Um, I have always felt that the real power comes from the periphery, like at least in those, you know, when you talk about those things, it's like, I never wanted to be the president or the vice president. I wanted to be the chief of staff. Like uh, anytime there's some sort of like political drama, I'm like, I always pay attention to who the chief of staff is. Cause that's the gate. That's a gatekeeper role. And I feel like that's also, I feel like that's a very queer thing. Like, you know, we're used to seeing queer people and those like gay people, those, those gatekeeper roles. And I always felt like, oh, I never wanted to be, because also those people have like, they, they have things to lose. And so it's like, I would, you know, I would do things in service to it and reap kind of the benefits without putting anything of mine in jeopardy. You know, I very like, no, I didn't want to be just, here's a reference because of the movie that we're about to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about in another episode. Like I never wanted to be uh Theoden King of Rohan. I wanted to be Grima Wormtongue. Like <laughs> I wanted to be whispering in the King's ear and, you know, he is doing my bidding, but it's all that kind of thing. This is a very, this is very, like, now if I ever run for office, it's to be like, you know, this, this queer is trying to be like, you know, but yeah, so I, it it wasn't until fairly recently that I like kind of reflected on that. And um, I was watching uh, the new Apple Plus uh, documentary, Boy State. And it's about like, it's about the American Legion's boys state program that like basically is this government simulation. And I actually did that when I was in high school. And my job at boys state was I was the chief of staff for one of the like assembly people in like the legislature that we created. And I felt like I had like a lot more power because, you know, I'm Angela Lansbury in the Manchuria candidate. Like I'm not, (laughs) I'm not friend Sinatra. (laughs) 
Oh, that's amazing. Did you just learn a lot more about me, Joshua? Like this is, it's all, I'm going to put it all away. Yes. And my, <laughs> my, my ever developing uh, psychological profile of you, Joe. Um, now I have to figure out ways to exploit this in the, in future films that we watch. Um, okay. <laughs> so back to Heather, who is here uh, at, at our, uh, uh, you know, we invited her here and are uh, doing everything not to talk about her. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm Which totally is not, fine with I that. mean, don't take offense because that's usually what happens. Like, let's talk about this movie, but by not talking about it. Uh, so, so the next question we usually ask is obviously, so we've got The Wizard of Oz is that sort of early, like, you know, thing that you saw that wasn't exactly maybe horror, but, you know, kind of set those bells off. What was the first horror film that you remember, like, seeking out actively? Like, oh, that's a scary movie and I want to see it. If you, you know, if you remember. Um, I have a story where, I mean, in between a little kid and um, the story I'm going to tell you, there were probably many horror films that happened, but they were probably more kinds of things that were like meant for young people. So it's like they're using gothic tropes and aesthetics to tell us, you know, a comedy, you know, probably horror comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I My family is from uh, New York and Brooklyn. And when I was uh, going into grade school, my mom decided to move to Arizona and it was kind of culture shock thing for the family. (laughs) And then they have a thing in Arizona called floods that we were not used to. And we all got, (laughs) we all got evacuated really early after we moved to Arizona. And I was, we were in this giant uh, gymnasium and it was, you know, it's, it's it's genuinely, excuse me. I have a, I had COVID in March and I still have a cough left over from it. Oh, wow. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, it was an uncanny experience. And I was just wandering around because you're not going to sleep on your little army cot. And there was some dude who found some room. Maybe it was a janitor's room. Maybe it was like the kitchen. I don't even remember. And he had set up a projector. And what he filmed, that like, you know, continuously filming stuff was Night of the Living Dead. And mm. then after that, Pink Flamingos. And <laughs> My life was never the same. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would do it. So I grew up. I have a very very uh, soft spot for Night of the Living Dead. Although I think it is genuinely a great film, and I grew up slightly worshiping John Waters and all of his Dreamlanders. So. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it, we did one of our very first episodes was Night of the Living Dead in our, our first season where we were kind of tracking this sort of chronological. Um, thing of horror, of American horror, and the uh, the episode's called "The Secret Word Is Bleak" because <laughs> it's like it's the only way to describe Night of the Living Dead. It's just so bleak. It's it's great. It, you know, it's fantastic. And but and and it holds up. And obviously, right now, and the you know within the context of like the Black Lives Matter movement, and you know, sort of what we're talking about that the film still it's still resonating for reasons that. Although maybe we're not intentional, you know, but the way art works, you know, it's sort of this accidental conversation about, you know, police brutality and race relations. And uh, it's just such a great film, but so we're like hard to watch. No, no, it is a a hard (laughs) film, but it's like, yeah, it's kind of like that queer survival mechanism again. It's Mm -hmm. like, yes, when you get to that very, very end and they shoot him, you're just like, fucking kidding me yeah but i hold on to the i'm the boss up here you're the boss down there that's yeah. like, that's the part i hold on to of just being like and i think it's important to note to me you know and i should say like i am a 
white person saying this, but I think that one of the powers of it is that that role was written just as a, I mean, I'm assuming it was actually probably written for a white man, but then they just literally filled it with the right actor. Yep. And so when the roles are just written with like actual power, mm-hmm. does that make sense? I'm making sense. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing with Alien. I think about that. I think Night of the Living Dead and I think about Alien a lot because those two really important roles for representation were written for white men, basically, mm-hmm. but, but cast differently. And I think yeah. about the power behind the writing, like, so I feel like people should take some lessons, write all your scripts for white men and then fucking cast them differently. Because <laughs> there's, a, there's a power to it. There's a power that exists in those two characters that I don't think would exist if they were written for a black man and a woman. No, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think that that is exactly the case with Night of the Living Dead that, you know, I, I'm sure, yeah, they go to write in, you know, what they're picturing in their head reflects their own identity or reflects their own you know, whatever it is they're thinking about what a hero is. Uh, and then, yeah, they chose the best person for the role and the same with Alien because both, you know, all the roles were written for men and they cast two women. They cast uh, Ripley and, um, oh my gosh, Veronica Cartwright's character. Oh, oh Daniel is screaming <laughs> yeah. at us right now. Our friend Daniel's up there. He's like, he's screaming the name. But it, it, either yeah. way, yeah, absolutely. I was reading, there was an interview with, um, is it Aubrey plaza is that her name that was on parks and rec she did yeah. lead, mm-hmm. and her character was written as like some like i think older like middle-aged dude and then they cast her and they were gonna like work to you know kind of rework the character she goes no no i'm just gonna do it exactly the same and it was like yeah why not yeah and, you know then it was a brilliant choice <laughs> so, yeah yeah i think that's um you know I mean, ideally we're writing and we're working from that perspective that anybody can be strong, that anybody can be the hero, that we can write great characters regardless. But I I think there is something to that. If they just write them, you know, like, sure, a white guy is who I had in mind, but we're going to give it to this black woman or this Indian man or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) well, it's the it's the kind of the it's the I don't want to know. I don't know if it's maybe it's the irony. It's like the irony of of casting is for film and television is that like, you know, the, we can literally, we can literally have stories where like magic happens. Like, you know, there are serial killers that are coming zombie apocalypse. Anything is possible, but you know, God forbid. um, I just keep thinking about uh, the controversy of Rue's character in um, the hunger games. Like God forbid this one character is black or even that, um, um, Black Hermione in um, the Harry Potter Cursed Child uh, stage play. It's like, mm. you know, but, you know, God forbid, like, this, <laughs> all of that stuff. Um, we have, like, we we deviate in some way uh, just to create something different or to, you know, potentially see but either, A, giving the uh, performer who had the best audition, who is going to, like, really make this role sing, make that person, give them the opportunity to do this, even though it wasn't technically written for someone who, like, the, it will embody it in that way. Um, and then, you know, it's just, like, it's, it, it's, just, it's just one of those most mind-boggling things. It's like, you know, God forbid we have, like, this character is Black, even though it was based on some uh, novel and, you know, all the people in it are white or something along those lines. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, I mean, that is the great, because then they turn around and they're like, you know, this white normative world is like, we're just trying to shove our identity. Like, queer people are trying to get into everything and people of color are trying to get into everything. They're taking our space. <laughs> it's like, 
oh my god everything is written for us like stop it stop it (laughs) (laughs) we're improving the space (laughs) exactly yeah you know i mean it's just insane that yeah that whole conversation it is mind-blowing lambert lambert that's it (laughs) lambert there we go yay (laughs) slow Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, and I am embarrassed by that because I do. I love Alien. And that yeah, I know. Great, I mean, such a great example of, of exactly what you're talking yeah, about. I'll, yeah, I'll give you a spoiler too. Um, I don't know if I actually said this anywhere. I don't think I've ever said this anywhere because I just was saving it for my dissertation. But I asked uh, 66 questions on a survey to horror loving queers. And one of the questions was uh, free fill in the box, open, open text box question uh, your five favorite horror films. Number one film, Alien. Wow. That's amazing. And doesn't surprise me, you know. It's, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, it's, it's just so fantastic, you know, just so, so well done. Um, oh, I love that. I can't wait to read like, how that you publish, <laughs> you know, but we'll get into that because I do want to, I do want to talk um, just real quick, but uh, well, not real quick, because that's what we're here to talk about, <laughs> your thoughts on horror. Uh, in all, in, in like your time in working, you know, why, why horror? Why do you think we make horror? Why do we need it? I think horror is the most transgressive of film genres. So let me start off by saying film is my medium. That has always been my medium since I was a kid. So I have a real deep affinity to film and consider myself kind of a cinephile. And then horror is the most transgressive of the filmic media uh, genres. And Horror is able to touch upon societal issues of the now that other genres can't and don't. And, you know, just, just like we were having a conversation about Night of the Living Dead, like that's a film that's 50 years old, older than 50, you know, and think of how sadly relevant it is today. And, you know, horror is about the other and queerness is about the other. So I've always had that, you know, it's like I lock eyes with the genre. I'm like, I see you because you see me. And so we have this relationship. And so that's how I wound up kind of doing the research I'm doing now. It's like, hey, I'm a returning student. So everyone out there who thinks that they are too old to go back to school, they're not. You can do it whenever you can. And uh, my specific story right now was that when the fascist Cheeto was elected. I was one of those idiots who was actually genuinely like shocked by it. I couldn't believe that, that happened, even though there was plenty of writing on the wall. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm going to quit everything and go back to school again. And I'm going to study the one thing I've never given my chance. Like I've never actually tackled in academia that has meant the most to me my whole life. And that's this intersection of queerness and horror. And that's, that's what I'm doing. So. Mm. Mm. I love that. There's, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm the same. I've been working. I just, you know, it's very, very slow, but I'm working, crawling my way towards my ba- my first bachelor's in psych, you know, and I definitely trying to find ways to marry like horror and fear and death culture and all these different things into like what I want to do with the rest of my life. But yeah, I strongly agree. It's never too late to go back and yeah, do something you love and something that you kind of have a plan for what you could, you know, what, how you could uh, uh, shape the conversation. You know, I think to some extent, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing. I don't yeah, know. No, no. I mean, I think that, no, I think it's true. It's like, I have no idea how like influential in this little tiny pond, my work will eventually be when be it work that I'm in the, I, I am in the process of actually writing it, but it is that it, the goal is I want people, I want straight people to realize that horror is queer and it's our genre and it has always been our genre from the beginning. And that's why I did that like lecture to a group of mostly straight people 
in England last year that I had shared with you. Yeah, so I did want to talk about that. Uh, so your uh, YouTube channel, Queer for Fear. So this was a, uh, from subtext to text, queer gothic and horror film through time. It's, you know, less than half an hour. Uh, it's so perfect. It's like, it's like a, a video syllabus. Like I could see a, an, like a 16 week class easily built from this. You know, I mean, you provide so many interesting, you know, films, book sources, uh, you know, articles like we were talking about, you know, with this complete, you know, thought on um, the monstrous other, the queer specter, the lesbian vampire and the final girl. I'm like, there you go. That's like each unit. I mean, it's so amazing. This, this video and just this short, you know, encapsulated conversation of like, wow, this could just expand huge into a book, into, you know, a series, into a class, into, you know, you know, whatever you'd want to do with it. It's just, it's so perfect. Um, so, so you said it was a, a, a talk you gave, what was it, where at again? It was at the Manchester Gothic Festival. It's a conference that happens in Manchester, England, I think usually in October. So I think it was October of last year and it was, the theme was gothic time, hence the title having the word gothic and time in it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a trick on getting accepted into conferences. Um, so, and, and the point was, is that I, I knew that the audience would be mostly straight and I knew the audience would be mostly literary. So I wanted them to understand that the horror film, and of course it goes beyond film, but my specialty is film. So I'm going to leave out all the things I can't speak to as well is queer. And I felt really super excited this year when Shudder did did their panel and they literally titled it horror is queer. And I was like, this, this is happening. The moment is happening. The momentum is out there. And it has been, you know, I had said that 2019 was the year that queer horror broke into the mainstream. And I do believe that that, is a truth and it's it's like a snowball and it's gaining 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 traction and it will be our genre one day and everyone will know it <laughs> <laughs> or that we're reclaiming it you know yeah, that no, we are, yeah you know, yeah because that's sam weinman he's been on our show a few times we you know we adore sam we're so excited for his shutter documentary hopefully it comes out sometime because uh, he's been working on it for quite some time um obviously covid is ruining all of our lives but you know um and so we've talked to him and it's like, you know, this thing of like, you know, oh, queer horror is now, but it's also always been. And I love you start right off, like talking about Nosferatu and, and, and you know, and, and, you know, right, you know, Frankenstein and like all of these goth, the gothic literature that was already queer, you know, either because the person writing it was, was queer or the characters just by default of being the other or being, you know, this outsider or be, you know, out, you know, out, abnormal quote unquote, you know, automatically makes it queer. And that that's where we pulled film from. So it just, it's always been that way. We've always been you, the straight people, white people are sitting at our tables, not the other way around, you know? And so we just have to be empowered enough to reclaim it. And, and, and I think that's what's happening. You know, we're seeing more and more of that with this move towards like social justice horror, (laughs) that kind of conversation with like get out and, you know, other, other movies that we're seeing that are, that are kind of reclaiming those spaces that were already always that way. You know, we just got hijacked by Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they, this, this sort of, um, the Hayes code and all that kind of stuff that sort of came in and, you know, 
tried to tried to kick us out, <laughs> but we found ways. Yes, exactly. We found ways in. Um, and you bring up, I mean, you obviously bring up a lot of great uh, classic horror in it. You know, you talk about Rebecca, which we've done on the show. Um, but I love that you also brought up Rift, which we've had Erlinger on our show as well. We, we interviewed him, uh, who wrote and directed uh, Rift. Um, also The Hunger, which is uh, such a sexy movie, which we've also done on the show. Um, so I, it's just like, ah, oh, man, your references were like all over. And there was a, quite a few films I'd never heard of, like what, Octavia, what was it? Octavio? Octavia is dead. Is dead. And then ja- what was the other one? Jamie's. I was like, I haven't even Jamie heard Marks of some of these movies. Dead also. <laughs> yeah. And Elena, or was that what, Elena? Yeah, uh, Elena, Thelma. Yeah. Which also, oh, I don't even know how I missed that because I'm like such a hardcore Swedish like fan. Like, <laughs> Oh, you should watch. It's a, it's a great film. I think. Is it Swedish or is it Norwegian? Whatever, it doesn't matter, but it's a great film. Yeah, I think, I think it's uh, Swedish. I looked it up earlier, but um, which I'm very disappointed in the way they're handling COVID. But otherwise, I'm like, <laughs> I'm such a hardcore, like, Swede file. Like, I just love, like, their movies, music, culture, everything, you know? So I'm like... Joshua's been to I the ABBA it? Museum. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, you don't go to Sweden and not go to the ABBA. I mean, this is the truth. It's, Absolutely. You know, it would have been embarrassing to be like, no, of course we skipped that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, overall, like, I just, I really like that that uh, video a lot. I'm glad that you shared that with us so I got a chance to watch it before because I was just like, oh, this, oh, I, I remember what I was going to, the other point I want to make is, you know, your last segment is the final girl, but you flip it, the final boy, which we've been talking about on, on our show, you know, obviously, because there's, you know, lots of inherent queerness um, or explicit queerness, uh, depending on on the final boy. So it's just overall, like, such a cool little video you put together. Um, so we thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> thanks for watching it. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, uh, it's all very selfishly motivated. It's a, it is, I, when I finally leave this mortal coil, I want to know that everyone in the world knows that that genre is ours. That's it. So it's just like, piece by piece. And there's so many people working on this. You are doing your part. I mean, you, how many years have you been doing this podcast? It's all these pieces coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, you know, just getting that opportunity to see ourselves more explicitly, you know, is kind of that next step. And so I like how, you know, obviously yours like starts with sort of those, you know, expli- or implicit or the subtextual, obviously that's the whole point to text. So to being very explicitly queer, I think is very exciting, you know, and we are kind of starting to see a little bit more of that um, and better budget. Cause it's not that we have, like we've talked about Hellbent on the show, uh, not a, not a great film. You know, uh, no, but it's super problematic, actually. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, but, you know, but but we also have like high tension, even though that is also very problematic. But, you know, a good film like, uh, you know, had a budget and seems like you know, it was it was believed <laughs> in by the people making it, uh, you know, it had a budget. Like, there were actors, <laughs> there <had> cameras. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, some stuff it's like, oh, here's a few thousand dollars. Figure it out because this is it's a queer. It's a genre. It's a niche, you know, market. So we're not going to put a lot into it, even though like there's a hell of a lot of us, uh, you know, that spend money, you know, we, we have a billion dollar, something like that disposable income, you know, as queer people, you know, so it's like, we're out there spending money, make stories about us. Uh, maybe we don't have, 
<laughs> collectively, there's yes, you yes, know, yes. but you know, we're 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 buyers. We're you know doing stuff. So it's like make make our stories and let us tell them. And I I love that we're finally getting to see that world opening up. I, I you agree. Know, where so. a gay person, a queer person can be like, I'm queer and I made an explicitly queer story for queer people. And straight people are allowed to watch it too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, isn't that what Get Out is? But Exactly, know, right. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly well-received, well-loved film for a reason. It was a great, great taught film. Um, I, I do want to point out one thing that I think is interesting in this shift. And I think that goes back to this article that Sam Miller had written, mm-hmm. which is what happens when queers continue to assimilate? Can we actually still be the monstrous other if we are mm. becoming a consumer uh, market, a neoliberal right. consumer market. And I think it's something really interesting to think about because we aren't as much, we aren't the villains in film as much as we used to be. We aren't always coded uh, as other, although you kind of, it's, it's just, it's one of those areas that I just, I'm really interested in where it goes as assimilation, as the neoliberal you know, machine continues to assimilate and assimilate mm-hmm. queerness. Mm-hmm. So. Oh. Well, yes. I mean, if we want to discuss that, we'll open that can. <laughs> because, yeah, I know. I think that's very, you know, we see that happening with like Drag Race, you know, and with yes, uh, the yes. mainstreaming of drag culture and how now we have teenage, largely white girls who feel that they have the right and the space and the platform to tell drag queens what drag is and to tell queer people what drag is. And we're seeing that on this you know, huge scale. And we're seeing this like conformity, conformity to this, like, here's the drag face, you know, and sure they come into that first episode and they all look different. But by the time you get to the promos, everybody's got the same face pretty much, uh, you know, and that, that the standard of beauty is being applied across the board. And then of course it's shaping and changing the way drag culture is in tiny cities because now everybody wants to be on drag race or they can't have a career, you know? And so we're seeing that happen, you know, of what happens when we're normalized to, to a certain extent, like in our culture, And I think that there was a lot of conversation about this when we were fighting for marriage equality, you know, because there was a lot of argument within, you know, the, you know, the more radical left that like, we don't really give a fuck about marriage because, you know, screw the government and what they think about my relationships. I'll do what I want to do. But at the end of the day, I want property rights. I want, you know, you know, uh, health, all of these things that come with this single piece of paper. And, but there's a lot of critique also of like, this seems like such like a a, a queer white men's movement. Cause once, once, marriage equality happened, they kind of dropped off, you know, and all of a sudden HRC, it's like, we're not really caring about the lives of black trans, you know, women. We don't really care too much about like other, the other letters, Uh, you know, and that's always going to be that conversation about the mainstreaming of our, of our culture. And as we try to continue to like whitewash and capitalist wash and, you know, all of this, our, our whole identities away. Um, Sorry, that was just like a word vomit. (laughs) No, but no, it's true. It is true. Your thoughts. Yeah. I know I agree with you I think about like I remember I have a very clear moment we were in England on a train and I turned to my wife and I we looked at each other and we were like what have we done we need to get divorced just to stay together like how did we <laughs> buy into this shit like why did we go and get married and it was because of the health shit right and then, and then I just get so mad thinking about it but there is something it's like um, military and marriage were the two things we fought for which are the right. two like a bedrock foundation to neoliberal capitalism and yeah when we think about the fact that once like we had those two pieces dealt with it, it is 
something that doesn't seem to be focused on. You know, GLAD looks at representations in ways that I don't look for representations, if that makes sense. Like I don't see eye to eye with the way GLAD is like trying to figure out what, how we are represented in the world, which goes back again. It always comes back to horror for me because for horror to work, it has to be transgressive. It, it's built into the genre itself, which is why I will just always look to the horror space of how it's dealing with the others. Now, the queer other is the other that I am. But there are so, you know, also women are other, poor people are other, any kind of BIPOC person is other. So the, the world is filled with others. Um, and I think horror, the era we're moving into that we're already in will be the most interesting era in my lifetime of where we're going and how horror will deal with this kind of assimilation, and what it means for the queer in horror. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm very, very curious to see uh, where it was moving. Joe, were you about to say something? Sorry, I think I cut you off. No, it's just I'm I'm just sitting here thinking because it's like the having these um, having this conversation specifically about like assimilation, like for for better or worse, like that word assimilation is just something that's always been like a part of my identity, because, you know, as a as a colonized indigenous person you know, the, the, like, I, I always think about, like, when people ask me, like, you know, how is Guam different, or what stands Guam apart out from the other colonies, I always think about, like, what's the difference between Guam and Puerto Rico, right? And, like, I always get very jealous of the Puerto Ricans, because, like, they have, they at least have, like, a language that they, that's primarily spoken that's not English. And, like, for Guam, like, the, at least the indigenous people, you know, that language was just, like, so stamped out, like, very early on. Um, first by Spain and then by and then by the United States after the American, after the Spanish American War, and so I'm always thinking about that in terms of like assimilation. It's just like you know, and and that process, and you know, is it ever fully finished? And like, no, and it's just a matter of like you know, thinking about it. So um, those are the thoughts that I'm like sitting with because it's like I've never, I don't think I've ever really thought about assimilation in terms of like queerness and queer identity, because I've always been, it's always been like from a, from my indigenous racial identity and my, like the political status of like my, of where I come from, because like, that's the thing is that like we, Guam as the Guam as a territory, as a, as a, as a colony, I'm able to move to California with like little to no paperwork and then like live here for like a year and a half and then like be able to vote for president, no problem. And like, that's like the ultimate, like that's like the ultimate, like top level of assimilation. And then, but I've never thought about it. That's so interesting. Cause I've never really thought about it in terms of like, um, in terms of queerness. And um, the one question that people always talk to me about, it's like, or like I've always heard, it's like, you know, why would, if you had a choice, like, would you want to be straight? And it's like, it took me a long time to be, to really like be okay with like, no, like I, like I love myself as I am. I like myself. I like that, you know, we're just, you should just like in the same way that like other people when, you know, in not cis, not white, not this, you know, if you had the choice to be, you know, whatever more is mainstream. Um, so yeah, thank you, Heather. Like, that's just, it's like, I'm just like sitting here and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be lying awake at night in the, in the heat. 
just thinking about assimilation. Um, you could think about your intersectional assimilation in life. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, because it's like, you know, I fairly like, you know, I, I blend in fairly well, like, you know, in, in terms of culture. And I feel like, you know, my, I definitely, and when it comes to like pop culture and all that stuff, and it's always, it, to me, I see it as like my references as someone who grew up where I grew up and had access to similar things or didn't have access to similar things. And to be able to have those references, reference points with other people tells, you know, says a lot about like how Western media systems kind of infect the rest of the world. But it's also like a way for me to connect with other people, not only in like seeing that representation, but um, I've never thought about it in terms of, you know, just queerness. So Ah, this is interesting. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sitting here quietly having a breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, yeah, no. yeah, it was such a discussion, you know, because it's like we didn't used to really worry about getting married or we didn't really, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that we started asking for in the mainstream that wasn't necessarily coming from all queer people, you know, that that those weren't always concerned. So it's just interesting how the movements get shaped and how you know, again, we're all, we're all told to move towards what this white male that, you know, the bell hooks, hetero capitalist, military industrial complex, all of those things, you know, of like white male is normal and everybody needs to get as close to that as possible so that we can, in order to love yourself and respect yourself and, you know, do, do those, do everything to be that, you know, because that's what's normal and that's what's acceptable. And that's, it's so fucked up and such psychic mutilation on all of us, you know, that, no, it's, I, I, I like to your point, Joe, it's like, I've, find my power in being the weirdo. I'd love that in high school. I liked, you know, we are the weirdos, mister. Exactly. You know, and Elvira, you know, I bring her up a lot too, because it's like, here's somebody who is sexy and weird and wears all black and is awesome and kick-ass and like has zero fucks to give for what anybody thinks. It's like, that's such power. And like, I I don't know why you'd want to be, why you'd want to be in khakis in a cubicle. (laughs) As someone who could wear often, a low cut dress and a knife, as someone who like wears khakis and works in a cubicle, um, I, I mean, I don't take uh, th- those are these are points and they are correct. Um, I, I think like, and if I'm if to bring it back to horror, um, look at me bringing it back to horror. Um, yeah. to bring it back to horror, it's just like I don't think that I really sought out or connected to the genre as early on because it was so like out there and all I wanted to do was kind of, I didn't want to like stand out in that way. Um, you know, because when you're like, you know, when you're the fat Brown kid, like you're already, you know, you're already kind of standing out to begin with and it's a way for you. Like, you know, you also don't want to be the fat Brown kid who likes like, you know, the living dead and all that stuff. And, and now it's just like, Oh no, like it's those it's, I've found um, myself more in those films, in these films, in these stories, in this particular genre than anything else. Yeah. And I don't want to, of course, take anything away from people who are truly happy in that role. Like, you know, love your khakis all you want, love your cubicle. It's like, I just want people to have the choice that that's not, 
normal. Like that's not the only choice that you have in life, you know? And that's, I guess what I mean. I mean that, that, that sort of, um, um, I don't know, hypothetical choice, you know, that it's like, I can be myself and suffer or I can conform to this and suffer like that, you know? So it's, that's what I mean, Joe. I love your khakis. I don't know. I I get what you mean. I just want to go back to an era where like, I just want horror to be transgressive. I want drag to be radical and I want queers to be dangerous. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, me, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, So with the last few minutes we have, um, I wanted to just get into the survey and how you've sort of come into our lives here. Um, And and you cannot escape now. you are you are awesome this has been such a delight but so just to get into like yeah what you're currently working on sort of where where that's going because that's joe um talk a little bit joe real quick how you found how how i found heather um so i mean instagram like has as a good (laughs) as a good like you know uh person engaging in in social media um but no so i I went to the Queer Fear in-person panel at Comic-Con, I think it was 2018 or 19. It was, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it was, it was recently. And um, it was brought up, your survey, Heather, was brought up at the, um, at it, and I remember just like writing it down, like, you know, writing down the keywords, searched it later, sent it to Joshua. We both did the survey and, um, and so that was like my initial way that I like found you, but without really finding you. And then through like Instagram and, you know, connecting in that way. Uh, but it was, I just thought it was just so fascinating because we, and I've mentioned this to Heather before, is just like, I never thought about queerness and horror in that way before prior to these panels. And it completely changed how I interact with the genre and how I, and it actually, like, you know, it was in that moment that I realized that I am a fan. Like, and I'm a fan because there's just so many, you know, I'm never going to, like, as of right now, it's like I would be lucky if in my lifetime I see, like, a Pacific Islander, like, someone from Guam on, like, screen in a in a narrative type of, you know, film or television. You know, I would be lucky if ever I saw that in my in my lifetime. But, you know, so I always go for like, where, how close can I get? How, where, where's my representation? And I feel like with horror and specifically, you know, if we, if queers retake the horror genre, like this is a way for me to, uh, when I should say, when queers retake the horror genre, <laughs> uh, this will be a way for me to kind of always have that representation um, right next to me. Um, I hope that answers the question, Joshua, because like, yeah. So basically it was someone like mentioned it in passing and and then I like wrote it down. And then in another Facebook group, someone mentioned it as well. And I was like, I wrote it down and I'm like, I, we already did that, but you know, time to reach out and see what we could do. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. So you all found each other on uh, Instagram and now you're here with us. So what's the, where are you at now? How, like how many people responded to the survey? Are you still having people respond or is yeah. that kind of over? Okay. Yeah, okay. No, it was over. It was open. Uh, a- I think it was April through August of last year. Okay. It is from so far, I think it's the largest uh, quantitative qualitative study 
survey of horror people, period, in the history of academia. So <laughs> queers have left their mark. I mean, other studies that have high numbers are like 890 people have responded to this survey or that survey. 4,107 people responded to the survey. So it's a really huge, da- it's a data set wow. that's so big that actually started, caught, like I was a kind of victim of my own success in a way. Yeah, that's a lot to take in. Was that solely American audiences polled or did you just put it out to the world or I mean, maybe. So interestingly, my university is located in England and Manchester and I have to adhere to GDPR rules, which are online privacy rules, which are more strict over there than they are here. Mm -hmm. So my intention was like, well, I don't know. I can't speak to the Thai queer experience. So I'm not going to like have this be an international thing. I'm just going to focus essentially on North America because like, yeah, maybe some Canadians will respond. But that was just my being, I was being stupid. Like I'm putting it on the internet. It's the world wide web. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it picked up social media, like some kind of, you know, steam. And in the end, I think the survey respondents are, American, so it's overwhelmingly American, like U.S., like, um, then of the remaining 30%, 70% of those are U.K. and Commonwealth countries, Mm -hmm. and the the remaining 30%, I, I know just from a few people telling me, like, there's some South American in there, there's some European stuff in there, but I don't know where the other 30% comes from. All right. Well, very cool. But still like a great, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see once you, you know, finish, you know, your work with the, at least with this part of it, you know, because um, we've focused so much on American horror throughout our, you know, I'm just curious what results you'll find and if they'll be reflected by sort of the conversations we've had. Like, I'm just very curious about uh, everything. So, so right now you're working on the actual writing paper part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, it's time to put us. It's time to synthesize all of this and get it just down and turn it in. <laughs> so that's where I'm at, and it's one of those things of um, there's just, there's a lot of data because I have the I have the four thousand one hundred and seven survey respondents, and that's just a massive amount of data in and of yeah. itself because I had loads of open text box things. So having to read through without exaggeration tens of thousands of individual answers of certain things. Yeah. I also am incorporating oral history work, which is how I know Joe. And I'm using, I was always going to do oral history regardless because I was trained as an oral historian. And that's what I did when I kind of quit work. I was an oral historian. Um, Because you can understand the meaning people make a little bit better than you can just from check boxes on a survey. Of course. Yeah. And I wanted to make up for the fact that the survey was too white. The responses were too, I, I didn't want as many white people. So I want to, I can't fix that. That is what it is, right. but I can make my oral histories uh, disproportionately not white. So that's what I'm working on. Wow. Oh, very cool. Any idea when you think you'll, <laughs> or is it again, that 50 and death thing, you know? <laughs> no, if it, 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 okay. Look at it. The world, I wake up every day and I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? So that's how I feel every day, right? So let's just say my my partner and I both got COVID. 
I have my partner is a long hauler. So we're dealing with the medical crap of that. Then I live in Portland, Oregon, where the fascist Cheeto is testing all of his like dictatorial fascist bullshit. Yeah. The future of Nazidom. (laughs) Exactly. Then I'm just like, ah, you know, impending ecological collapse, all these things. So if things go to plan, (laughs) but with lots of caveats because of what's going on, I hope to have a complete, a complete rough draft by end of some end of November, beginning of December. Very cool. All right. Well, yeah, then you're not, you're not far. So, well, (laughs) I hope that, you know, however it works out, I hope that we get an opportunity to read it at some point, uh, obviously after it goes through all the things it has to go through. Yeah. Uh, Cause I am very excited just, you know, as a huge fan of horror to see like, yeah, what, what is, what is actually, some, what are some real truths about us in a collective sense? Because that is huge. You know, I had the tiniest, you know, I had a class in re- for research uh, psychology, psychological methods and research or whatever it's called some, you know, uh, huge title. And we had like, we did a thing on environmental, uh, environmentally uh, sustainable death options was our was what we chose to explore like what 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 will make people more likely to choose like you know a green greener burial and we just had a few hundred responses which was way more than like anybody else in the class and it was such a nightmare to to work with because everybody else is like oh we got 20 and our professor we come and we've got like 230 something and she's like what (laughs) like people love talking about death uh this blew people's minds mushroom suits and you know like just people didn't know really what to think so we got a lot of good like and it was just a nightmare and that was only 16 weeks (laughs) So yeah. I can't imagine, you know, having, I mean, it's just so exciting, the the data that could be there and what, you know, what you're going to discover. I don't know. It's just like, that yeah. just thrills me as a horror nerd. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I, I am like genuinely thrilled. Like this, I did not, I mean, I am the facilitator of having this happen, but this is the work of 4,107 queers. And then the yeah. people like Joe who take hours out of their time to tell their stories. So all of it kind of makes sense in a fuller picture and I will say, I still do. I, the biggest takeaway is I walk away for all of our differences as individuals in this world. There is a common through line of, you know, queer people appreciating horror in a different way. The majority of queers do think that they appreciate and understand horror than the, you know, straight counterparts. And I think that in and of itself is super interesting. Um, oh, and absolutely. And it was a three hour conversation <laughs> and it was like, it was the most fun that I'd had in a very, very long time. Yeah. If I can put a plug in, this is my plug. I, I will, when, when I complete, when I have finished the academic like hoop jumping and it's available, I will go to everybody I know and be like, hey, spread this out there. It's academic writing. So it's a little bit like not sexy. Um, <laughs> but what I really want to plug is that I cannot save the raw data. Like that's just part of GDPR rules that, that has to be destroyed, which slightly kills my soul a little bit, but I have spent so much time creating well over 5,000 aggregate reports because I can save aggregate data. And then all of the transcripts for all of the um, interviews, well, all, they're all being transcribed and they're all being archived and all of that will be publicly available to anyone. I want people, all kinds of people to go to that huge, rich data source and do shit with it. Tell yeah. stories that I wouldn't even think to tell. Find things in there that I could, I didn't think to mine, you know, because it's just so much. 
Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. It's like, yeah, academic, you know, might not be sexy, but lots of sexy things can be pulled from it. Exactly. You know, you're going to be like that, like that, you know, that byline, like, you know, hey, this was pulled from this information. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> and then you will have the option to also do sexy things with it, I'm sure, should you want to. Yeah, well, ask me again next year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've done all the hoops. But yes, yes. So, yeah. Well, Heather, oh my gosh, this is so, this has been so awesome having you here and joining us and, and uh, you know, look, it's like another real like horror professional, you know. I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going a little rogue right now, but I'm sure Joshua will agree with me. Um, I think that this will be the first time in Fright School um, that we are going to bestow tenure on someone. So... <laughs> um, I hope TJ Careful, doesn't get mad. You're going to upset TJ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm TJ not you're doing your show anymore. <laughs> but hey, I mean, like, if we, here's the thing if we're going to bestow Fright School tenure on somebody, it might as well be the person who is like, like trying to who is out there like actively saying like horror is que- like working in horror and oh, also yeah. horror is queer has always been queer you know you've been sitting with us now it's time no, for it's us true. to take yeah, that. Yeah. So. we've had lots of academic guests but definitely i don't think we've ever had anybody who was so like this is real like horror is the thing uh so yes absolutely you're welcome to <laughs> So we are giving you, we are bestowing Fright School tenure. You know, I'm putting the hood on and the floppy hat. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know these things. I'm not sure what you're talking about. That's my favorite word. Regalia. Ah, regalia. Regalia. Yeah, it just means that I can come back when I want and you can't fire me. Exactly. Exactly. You are Fright School Emeritus. I I am honored and I do hope I get a chance to uh, talk more about the results when I'm allowed to talk more deeply about the results. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. All right, well, um, we actually will be back next week with uh, Heather to discuss... um, (laughs) Start laughing. Um, 1992's... uh, Well, Brain Dead released in america as dead alive uh early peter jackson film so i'm very we're very excited to get into that i know joe just mm, i can't i'm excited uh so <laughs> you know make sure you come back uh next week join us for another uh fun class session uh with heather joe Joshua. so much love to you um <laughs> heather thank you again and dear dear listener uh you know sleep tight Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Listening to the Geekscape Network.